You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. Good morning, church. Man, that is, a, that is a way to start a morning, right? Wow, thank you, Jonathan and the worship team. Uh, man, I, I'm excited to be with you all this morning uh, to open up God's word together. I hope that you have had a wonderful 4th of July uh, weekend and today, or week and weekend, and today we are gonna be talking a lot about the values that we have as a Church, and uh, as we get started this morning, one of those values that I want to highlight is the value that we don't want to just grow our church, but we want to build the kingdom. We don't just want to grow our church, we want to build the kingdom. And that means building the kingdom here in Niceville, across the state of Florida, across the nation, and across the world. This, uh, this past week, we celebrated our 4th of July uh, big uh, community event. We had over 1,000 people join us on campus, uh, many of those for the first time. Uh, we had a host of amazing volunteers ranging from young kids all the way to seniors, senior adults uh, managing the entire event. And, and I wanna shout out our community outreach MLT. Uh, and I specifically wanna shout out Robin Lewis and all of the hard work uh, that she did specifically to uh, put on such an incredible event. Can we just show our appreciation for the community outreach MLT and Robin? Yeah, praise the Lord. But we don't just wanna build our church, we want to build the kingdom. This morning, obviously, I'm not Pastor James, uh, and he is at Anchor uh, Church in Freeport, a church that because of uh, your giving and generosity, we helped plant in Freeport. He is preaching the word there this morning, uh, so the gospel is not just for us, it is for our state as well. And then also, uh, as Jonathan already mentioned, we have a team uh in Uganda, serving alongside our mission partner, Laura Jones, there uh, this morning, had the privilege of uh, talking to about a 1,000 people, uh, including a bunch of kids. I think we have a picture of that team uh, to show you all from this morning. Uh, it's like 4 o'clock there now, uh, but that's this morning. Uh, they were serving and faithfully proclaiming uh, Jesus to the world. So I'm gonna just lead us in a time of prayer over uh, James and over uh, the uh, missionaries that are there as well. So pray with me. Father God, uh, what a joy it is to just come before you, uh, to uh, engage in your word. Father, we thank you, God, that you are at work in Niceville, God, uh, across the state of Florida, Lord, uh, in our country, Father, and across the world. Lord, we pray for James as he is delivering uh, the word this morning at Anchor Church. Father, we also pray for all those who are serving uh, alongside Laura Jones in Uganda. God, that your name would be made known to the nations. Father, I pray over our time this morning in your word, God, that you would speak through me, Father, and that I would be made less and you 
made more. Father, we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, we recognize that because of our 4th of July celebration, this may be your first time with us. I wanna welcome you as a guest uh, here at Church on Bay Shore, uh, whether you're here in person or meeting with us online. It is a joy to have you. If you would like to get connected to uh, the church, uh, to a life group, you can text the word connect to the number that is on the screen. Uh, and sometime this week, one of our pastors is gonna follow up with you uh, and talk to you about how you can get connected to this church. And it really is a joy uh, to gather together and to open up the word. If you wanna turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 20, or sorry, chapter three, verse 20, uh, verse 20 and 21, we're gonna be covering these two verses over the next few weeks. We started last week, we're gonna continue uh, this week and over the next few weeks. And this series is titled Immeasurably More. We're gonna be looking at how these two verses emphasize God's ability to do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine of him. Last week, Pastor James talked about our discipleship essential, essential, yeah, worship, uh, and specifically pointed to worship being crucial for the life of the believer, specifically defining worship as a submission of one's life as a living sacrifice to God. This morning, we're gonna continue with our discipleship essentials. We're gonna go to growth. Our discipleship essentials are worship, grow, serve, give, and reach. Today, we're talking about grow. Let's read Ephesians 3, verses 20 through 21. They say this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. My name is Alec Ammons. I'm the student minister here at Church on Bayshore. I have the joy of serving with some of the greatest students that I have ever met. I work uh, very closely with them, engaging with them, and uh, my wife Ashley and I were led here about two and a half years ago, uh, and man, it has just been a joy. We loved it so much, we decided to go on ahead and just start our family uh, here. And so we recently... Uh, over uh, the last month, had our first son, uh, our first child. He just so happens to be a boy. Uh, and we are just loving every minute of it. And as, we were, as I was thinking about growth, I started to reflect on my own very long journey and Ashley and I's very long journey of growth over the past 10 months. Uh, it is the quickest growth I've ever experienced in my life. Um, but as we welcomed him into the world, or as we were preparing to welcome him into the world over the nine months of, of Ashley's pregnancy, we loved Saturday mornings. Saturday mornings uh, hold a very special place in our hearts even still, uh, but, but they were the mornings that we would open up all of the pregnancy apps and we would get to learn about how our son was growing. 
We were getting to compare his size to legumes and melons and, and all kinds of things. And we typically would, that would be his nickname for that week of like, oh, he's a cantaloupe. Oh, sweet cantaloupe. Uh, and we loved Saturday mornings. We got to learn how he was growing. We got to discover over time how he, he was developing, how his senses were developing. And I remember very specifically just before Christmas, I believe it was the 23rd, we had an ultrasound appointment. And we went to the ultrasound, and you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch was playing uh, in the background, and right as the ultrasound tech put the wand on Ashley, the screen lit up with a spine. And I'm not a big crier, but whoo, tell you what, I was bawling in that chair. I was amazed at God's intentional design on how he was growing our son. Now we get to experience his growth in person, face to face. We get to see him experience the world. We get to watch as his sight grows better and he starts to react to the things that we're doing. We get to watch this world open up for him. We're learning a lot as parents, uh, trying to figure out how to do this thing. We're growing in our consumption of caffeinated beverages, uh, and we are growing in the amount of baby toys and baby clothes, and our house is growing smaller and smaller and smaller. If any of y'all have figured out how to fix that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Uh, but we are just in this season of growth. And it got me reflecting that growth is constant. Growth is a constant part of our lives. It, it, from, from before we are born to the end of our lives, we are constantly growing. It's ingrained in us. We really should be growing in some way. Whether it's from learning your ABCs to promotions, we have metrics that we use to track our growth. But this morning, we aren't talking about physical growth. We're not talking about growth of, of the things that we can have. We're not talking about the accumulation of attributes. We are talking about spiritual growth. When we as a church, we say, worship, grow, serve, give, and reach. These are the discipleship essentials that we hold to. And these are the things that should be evident in the lives of the believer. We should be worshiping, we should be growing, we should be serving, giving, and reaching. We are all seeking to be apprentices under Christ and those should be the outflowing of the apprenticeship. So I want to define what spiritual growth looks like. We're gonna use Psalm 1 to help us define spiritual growth. Psalm 1 one through three says this, blessed is the man who walks not in, wicked, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Defining spiritual growth is hard, but I think this passage gives us some context of markers that we should be looking for as we grow. First, we should grow, the process of growth, it starts by simply being with Jesus. We can't grow in Jesus if we are not with Jesus. So the first step is being with Jesus. The second step is we need to become 
like Jesus. It's not enough just to be with Jesus. We want to become like Jesus through a process of sanctification. Verse, or the third one, we should be with Jesus, we should become like Jesus, and the last one is we should do what Jesus did. Ultimately, it is our task to do what Jesus did. See, this spiritual growth is more than accumulating biblical knowledge. We have a tendency to want to know more, but not want to spiritually grow more. It is more than picking and choosing which parts of God we like and following after those and forgetting those that we don't like. It is a process of getting to know God, beginning to grow in him, and then going in Jesus. Last week, James looked at this, these two verses, and he gave us four points that kind of extrapolated the meaning of these two verses. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take those four points that he used last week, and we are going to talk about them again this week. But specifically, we are going to look at how this passage in Ephesians chapter three talks to us about growth, talks to us about this spiritual growth of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and ultimately doing what Jesus did. The first point that James gave us from last week coincides with the beginning of verse 20. The point was God's ability to make things happen for us far surpasses our ability to ask for or understand those things. God's ability to make things happen for us far surpasses our ability to ask for or understand those things. The reality is, this is one of our values, is if our goals don't require dependence on God, they are not big enough. If our goals don't require dependence on God, they are not big enough. We have goals, we track goals. But our metric for tracking goals is broken. It's deeply engraved in us that growth should be defined by our trackable circumstances. It should be trackable by our career, or our cars, or boats, or dollar signs, or successes, or promotions, or vacations. The list could go on and on and on of the things that we track to track our personal growth. But our metric for growth is limited. And this text tells us that God's potential for our growth is unlimited. Our metric for growth is limited, but God's potential for our growth is unlimited. We can take a look at the life of Paul a former prosecutor of the Christian faith. And we can read in 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 16, Paul gives a detailed account of who he was and who he became through Christ. 1 Timothy 1, 13 tells us that though formerly I, Paul talking, was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul was a murderer of Christians. He was a insolent opponent of Christ. But he was radically changed because God's plan for Paul's growth was better. We see this as a convicted thief hung rightfully next to the perfect and blameless lamb. But that thief met Jesus in paradise because God's plan for his growth was better. Matthew, a tax collector, did incredible work for the gospel because God's plan for his growth was better. The adulterous woman who just so happened to be drawing from a well from a very intentional Jesus came for water and left with living water that she would go and tell the nation because God's plan for her growth was better. And I don't know about you this morning, but if I were in those times, if I were the, 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 one of the disciples, man, I would have really been concerned about Paul. I would have really questioned Paul's motive. Is he really, is he really doing this or is he trying to get an inside look on this Jesus thing so he can persecute us more? I would have been very skeptical of Jesus who after he rose from the grave is telling me the account of this thief. Just why him? He was convicted rightfully. I'm, I'm confused. I, I would have hated the tax collector. I mean, can we be honest? We probably all would have hated the tax collector a little bit. I would have been so confused that God chose the adulterous woman to go and tell the good news of the gospel. And it is because I am in need of a God who can do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. I'm in need of a God who has a better plan than my plan. I still need to grow more deeply in relationship with that God. I'm challenged by this. My own personal growth, the growth of my family, I'm challenged and I'm, I'm reminded that they cannot neglect the God who can do immeasurably more. My personal growth in my faith cannot neglect the God that can do immeasurably more than I could ever do or I could ever ask or imagine. The reality is, is it, if we are desiring to grow as deeper apprentices of Jesus, it starts with our goals actually requiring Jesus. And that growth comes from prioritizing Christ first and submitting ourselves in worship as living sacrifices to God. James gave us a second point last week, coming from the latter half of verse 20 and bleeding into 21. God works for his glory through us. God works for his glory through us. Us. See, our growth is not about our own glory. It is not about learning more or knowing more. God works for his glory through us. The text tells us about this work within us. It says, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory. This word power is the Greek word dunamis. And dunamis is used uh, in this specific context as God's power working through us, growing us to bring him glory through us. God's power working through us, growing us to bring him glory 
through us. Second Peter 3.18 says this, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It is by God's powerful work within us that we can grow and bring him glory. It is God's work within us. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that we could grow to bring him glory. First Peter 4, 10 through 11 outlines how we are called to serve by the strength that God supplies in order that everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory. This is all a product of as we grow closer in relationship with God, he is glorified by our worship and by our witness. He is glorified through our worship, our submitting of ourself and by our witness to those around us. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, it can be very easy to start to think of people who you view as more spiritual than you, who you view as these leaders of the faith that you would like to emulate. I know that for me, there, were, there was a guy, his name was Lee, and his Bible was so worn. And I remember being a high school student being like, man, I really, I was like friends with his kids. I was like, I really hope that one day my Bible is as worn as Lee's. Maybe it's somebody who you say, man, I wanna serve the way that they serve. I wish I prayed the way that they pray. I wish I had a heart for God the way that they have a heart for God. And in my very brief experience, see the older these spiritual leaders get, they begin to realize how little they actually understand of this incredibly big God. But what they grow in is in knowledge that their lives are to bring God glory. They understand that their lives are essential for God to receive glory. And they do this through engaging in a deep and intimate relationship with God. There is a reason why Lee's Bible was so worn. It's because he used it. And God gets the glory because in everything that they do and everything that they say and everything that they act like or almost everything they do say and act, the biblical power outlined in this text works through them so God can receive glory from their growth and lives as a worshipful sacrifice to their creator. Psalm 1 describes this growth. It identifies this unfortunate problem that we run into where we start to desire the things of the world and walk in the ways of the world so that we can see gain this side of heaven. It warns us that we shouldn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but so often we are caught up in the world around us. So often we are caught up in the ways of the world and the things that the world calls us to do. And so we have to focus on 
Christ because we are missing the opportunity to bring God the glory that he is due. C.S. Lewis defines this problem or gives us an analogy of this problem. He says this, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back in, in listening to the other voice, taking the other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger life come flowing in, and so on all day. He says, we can only do it for moments at first, but from those moments, a new sort of life will be spreading through our system because we are now letting him work at the right part of us. It's the difference between paint, which is merely laid on the surface, and dye or stain, which soaks right through. James has used this analogy a few times now where he talks about how we are the brushes for an amazing painting of God's glory. And we are the tools that God is using to paint the painting of God's glory. But the key to a good brush is that it actually can be saturated with paint. It has to hold on to paint. It has to be dipped in the paint so it can be used and it needs to hold on to that paint. We each and every day have to plant our roots down near the stream of living water that is God. We need to be in real relationship, growing with him so that his glory may be known to the nations. I have the privilege of, of working with students, uh, as I mentioned before, and a few summers ago, we were at our Infuge camp uh, at Mississippi College. Uh, we were working at a VBS and we kind of all were in the same, it was like a gym and fellowship area and we had some classrooms and we were doing stations and we encouraged our students, man, have gospel conversations. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And through the week, you know, there was a few and, and we asked them to just, hey, if you've got a gospel conversation, let us know. We'd love to follow up. We wanna make sure the church knows that, that there may be something there. And so as the week kind of happened, there was a few, not, not too many, but a few, we were really encouraged by it. And if you know anything about uh, about students or, or specifically students camp, there, there's one thing that, that's very true. The last day smells like Axe body spray and it has a different feel to it because the last day the students start to realize that, man, that we're gonna leave. So we encourage the students, hey, this is an opportunity that you have to share the gospel and, and you may be, the one who shares the gospel with one of these kids and, and brings them to Christ and God be the glory. And on that last day, it was, it was kind of, there was a weird feeling in the air. And we started having some students go, hey, had a gospel conversation, had a gospel conversation. And then eventually, it was like a nonstop train of students. Hey, I just had a gospel conversation. I gotta go have another one. I wanna have a gospel conversation. I gotta have another one. I gotta have a gospel conversation. I gotta and it was because they had spent a week deeply saturated in Jesus. They lost all desire of the social economy that's around them. They lost the metric of growth that was broken of, hey, what's my friends gonna think if I share about Jesus? They had forgotten all of that. They had focused on the growth of God's kingdom and they had been saturated in Jesus. 
And I can't say anything to the amount of seeds that were planted that last day that will ultimately bear fruit. But what I can say is that these students cared more about the kingdom and growing God's kingdom than they did about growing their kingdom. They let a God who can do more than they could ever ask and imagine work in them in a mighty way. They offered themselves as living sacrifices for the work of God, saturated in his word. James gave us a third point uh, following the last half uh, or the kind of the middle of verse 21. Simply God works for his glory through us in the church which is in Christ. God works for his glory through us in the church, which is in Christ. The local church is God's plan to bring glory to himself through the growth of the believer. The local church is God's plan to bring glory to himself through the growth of the believer. I'm gonna read four Texts very quickly. Colossians 3.16 tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 3.10, so that the, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Acts 2, 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. See, the local church is God's plan to bring himself glory through the growth of the believer. See, the local church is God's plan for his glory. It is built so that the word of God would resonate through the body of believers that he would faithfully op- that we would faithfully open his word and build our foundations on that word. It is built so that we would sing songs and proclaim his glory and we would grow in both grace and truth, grow in both wisdom and thankfulness. See, the local church is God's plan to bring himself glory, not here in Niceville, but through the local church, the wisdom and power and glory of God would be made known to every nation and every tongue, to every ruler and authority as he seeks to draw people to himself through the spiritual growth of the body. The local church, is God's plan to protect the widows and the orphan, to walk with those in need, and to break bread together in fellowship, growing closer together. The local church is God's plan to bring him glory down here on earth that we might get a taste of heaven as we sing holy, holy, holy. See, the local church is described as Christ's bride intentionally because he paid for it with his blood that was poured out on a cross so that we could be with our creator forever and ever. And as we gather together, may we grow closer as we glorify him. One of our key values is that programs don't make disciples. People make disciples. The local church is made so that people can make disciples. We understand that there is no incredibly flashy program that is going to do anything to sustain the believer, 
like the small moments that we as a fellowship of believers have over coffee or in our life group rooms, over a lunch, as we mourn together in sadness, as we rejoice together in joy, or as we as a church seek to disciple one another, encouraging one another to be more like Jesus, to be with Jesus and to do what Jesus did, planting ourselves near streams of living water as we grow together. The local church is God's plan to glorify himself through the growth of the believer. The fourth point that James gave us for this text comes from the last part of verse 21. Every generation has the responsibility to pass down the truth that transcends generations to the next generation. Every generation has the responsibility to pass down the truth that transcends the generations to the next generation. The responsibility of generations passing the truth of God down to the next generation has always been a part of God's plan for our spiritual growth. Abraham was the first where he established his covenant with God and it was called for, or it was called for generations. Moses in Exodus three is called to remind Israel that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Psalm 78 famously tells us that we are to teach our children so that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to your children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Ephesians 6, later on, some of you parents love this verse because it tells the parent, or it tells the child to obey their parents, but it also tells the parents, it it tells them that they are responsible to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord simply to take them by the hand and lead them to Jesus. Here at Church on Bayshore, we believe that the priority of every generation is the next generation. Shane Pruitt has has an interesting uh, chart on what happens if this generation doesn't prioritize the next generation. He calls it the four-generation fade, and it starts with parents don't make the local church a high priority for their kids. And so those kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Those kids, the third generation, they grow up and make it no priority for their kids. And by four generations, those kids grow up with no concept of God. See, the priority or the, what we prioritize today has an incredible value for the next generation. What we prioritize today impacts future generations. And if we want our grandchildren, if I want my grandchildren to believe in Jesus and to prioritize God later, I have to start by prioritizing God in my life today, by developing a rich life, walking with God If we go back to Psalm 1, we see at the end of that final verse that we read that the tree that is planted by waters bears fruit in its season. And this tree 
bears fruit, not for itself. Trees bear fruit so that there, generate, that there will be generations of same trees to come. And the fruit is either used to help the trees go out, help the seeds go out, or to provide that seed the nourishment it needs as it falls on the ground. The fruit of the tree is not for the tree. And we often pursue the fruit of God so that we can, can take advantage of it for ourselves. But the reality is, is that the, true, the fruit is for those who will come in contact with us and for those who will come much after us. We have to be planted by firm, we have to be planted firm by the waters of the living God. We have to grow in word and grace, and as a result, we will grow spiritual fruit to pass from generation to generation. I'm gonna close our time with, with two applications. The first, for those in the room who maybe have not placed their faith in Christ yet or are feeling distant from Christ, and I recognize that in my own life, I have experienced where, where I feel like God is very far away or I feel like he is not drawing near to me or, or I feel like I have distanced myself from God or maybe for you in the room, God is just a very far off, made up thing that a bunch of people gather around on Sunday morning so that way they can network or whatever. Maybe that's you this morning. And I'm reminded of, of a creek that I would go to. My parents had this house uh, and there was this creek way, way back in the woods. And, and I would, you know, as a middle schooler, elementary schooler, I'd go out into the woods and I would explore around. And I found this creek and it had an awesome path that led to it. And, and I would spend hours and hours and days and days and months and months just playing in that creek skipping rocks and getting muddy and finding treasures and bringing them back and my mom getting all mad. But over time, I slowly started visiting this creek less and less and less. Eventually, I was a high schooler, late high school, early college, and I remember, you know, my parents were getting ready to move. I was like, man, I just wanna go skip a rock in that creek one more time. So I go and I, I trek through the woods and I, I find where the path to the creek should have been, but instead it is overgrown completely with thorns and brambles and weeds and it is an impenetrable object. I can't get to this creek anymore. And I think about all the times in my life where I found myself kind of trying to uproot myself from God, saying, man, I could just put my roots down a over here and I would see more success in my life. I would see uh, better, better things happening. I could do the things that I want to do. And then when I go back, it's like, man, there's these things that just seem to be holding me down. There's these thorns in the ways. And here's what I'm, to, I'm here to tell you. If you feel far away from God or if you have not placed your faith in God, if God feels distant, if it feels like there is this, this huge barrier of thorns and brambles between you and God, I'm here to tell you that the reality is, is Christ has already come and cleared the way. That Jesus has, has worn the thorns and was crucified and rose from the grave so that you can spend an eternity with your creator. So that you can spend eternity with a God who can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. And all it takes to plant yourself near to God is putting your faith in Jesus. All it takes is surrendering your life and submitting it as a worshipful living sacrifice to the God who has poured out his blood specifically for you. If you wanna talk more about that, I'll be down at the bottom of the stage 
in just a little bit. You can text the word believe to the number on the screen. We'll talk to you more about what it means to put your faith in Christ. My second application is for those who are remaining faithful, those who have roots planted. Hebrews 12, one through two, is a great reminder that growth by definition requires sustaining. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And as you, faithful believer in the room, keep your eyes on the incredible Jesus, at the end of all the growing and all the glorious work of God, you can do or God who can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine, I want to remind you of what's at the finish line of this marathon. Revelation 7, 9 through 12 tells us that we will see a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who, is, who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever, amen. Pray with me. Father God, you are Holy good. God, and we are reminded of the truth that is found in your word, Lord, that you can do immeasurably more through us and in us than we could ever ask or imagine. God, as we submit our lives as a worshipful sacrifice to you, God, may you grow us into being more like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. Father, we lift all of this up in your name, amen.